Thinking for a change. We've been thinking about thinking for a long time, haven't we? This is uh, Lesson 8, based on the words of Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, today, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I call Lesson 8, Thinking Outside the Box. Excellent thoughts. If anything is excellent, think about such things. Definition for the word excellent? Beyond what ordinarily might be expected. I always love it when some Christian says, well, somebody needs to do something about this, but I can't see how I could possibly do that. I'm laughing because, of course, they couldn't possibly do that. If it's a thought that comes from God, it's not going to be something you can do. It's going to be something you could only do if you put your whole trust in Him to do it through you. So impossible things don't become any more possible for us, but they become possible because we're taking an entirely different approach to things. Let me introduce you to a couple of fellows, one that you probably have heard of and one you might not have heard of. Dr. Robert Schuller uh, was the pastor of the Crystal Cathedral and author of the book Possibility Thinking. And uh, I went to a church growth seminar uh, in Garden Grove at his church, and he told what I have to believe is, at this point, the most remarkable story I've ever heard in my life. And it was supposedly a true story from his life. And I did a little research in the background. And the person he talks about actually does exist. So I think he, he was telling the truth. It almost seems unbelievable. The story is born out of a situation when Schuler had just published Possibility Thinking. And it was a raging bestseller. And so he was in demand to speak all around the world. And he was actually coming back from the Middle East. And he had to be back on Sunday to preach. And so he hadn't spent a minute preparing his sermon, and he was quickly on the plane trying to prep his sermon. When some gentleman, older gentleman, sat down next to him, and he did what we all fear will happen when we have plans to get a lot of work done on the plane, he said, Hi, <laughs> my name is George, what's yours? My name's Bob, <laughs> trying to disguise that he was a pastor, Robert Schuller said. George said, I'm a mathematician, what do you do? <laughs> he said, he didn't want to say he was a pastor because that opens up a whole can of words. So he said, well, I write books about possibility thinking. <laughs> and he said, well, that's interesting, Dr. Schuler said, because I've often thought in writing books about possibility thinking that mathematics is the one area in life where possibility thinking has absolutely no application whatsoever. I mean, if you're positive or negative, 2 plus 2 still equals 4, right? <laughs> and the other fellow, George, said, I wouldn't be so sure. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> so Schuler put down his pad of paper and pen, and George began to tell a really strange story, because during the Depression, George had been a student at Stanford University, 
and he was uh, one of ten students in the advanced mathematics physics department. They knew that maybe one of the ten upon graduation would get a job opportunity. The other nine would be in the soup line with everybody else. And so there was keen competition for the best grades and making the biggest impression. Knowing this, George was preparing for a physics final. <laughs> and so he did something that college students everywhere do, which was stay up all night cramming. Okay. The problem was that he had studied as much as he could, his brain was as full, and he dozed off, and he actually overslept and missed the beginning of the class. We've all done this before, okay? And so, panic, he threw on his clothes and ran across campus to hopefully get in on the end of the physics final, hoping to save his life and his career. He comes into the classroom, and he notices there's the paper on the desk. So without saying anything to the professor, he just grabs the sheet with the questions on it. He looks up and notices the professor added two problems to equations on the blackboard for them to complete. He worked and worked and worked and finished the eight, but he wasn't even able to begin the two on the board. The time ran out for the test. The class was over. He goes up to the teacher and begs, please, if I could just have a little more time, I know I can finish the equations. Because George had been a good student and the teacher liked him, he said, okay, you have to the end of my office hours today. If I have your paper by the end of office hours, I'll take it. So George goes back and he feverishly works on these two equations. Well, with the time allotted to him, he finishes one, but is unable to finish the second. Dejectedly, he walks back across campus, turns in his test paper, goes back and is depressed beyond words, starts thinking about what it's going to be like fighting for his next meal and probably getting a job as a janitor mopping floors someplace. He falls asleep again, falls asleep and sleeps overnight. Early in the morning, he hears a knock at the door. I mean, it's a really vigorous knock at the door. He's thinking, I don't want to deal with my friends today. But the guy keeps knocking. He goes to the door. There stands his professor. First words out of his professor's mouth. George, you've made mathematics history. <laughs> to which George is thinking, I got a 90% on a physics exam and I made mathematics history. How did I do that? And he goes, that's right. You weren't there at the beginning of the class. I remember now. He said, at the beginning of the class, I said to the students, there are eight equations on the test today. Don't be discouraged if you can't finish all of them. Even Einstein had his unsolvable problems. I wrote two of them on the board. You solved one of Einstein's unsolvable equations. The next month, George was published in a mathematics journal across the world. Later, he became the head of the physics department at Stanford for 35 years. Also made several great inventions in various fields and areas. And the question that Robert Schuller asked afterwards was, do you think if George would have known the two equations on the board were impossible, he would have even tried to solve them? 
Well, of course not. None of us thinks ourselves smarter than uh, Albert Einstein. We're not going to solve his, if he declared them, uh, wouldn't you say that? If he declared them unsolvable, they're unsolvable. But because George didn't know any better, he tried. And he did. That's what we call excellent thoughts. What was the definition? Beyond what ordinarily might be expected. Beyond what could possibly be expected. Beyond what is reasonable to expect. Did you know that according to the New Testament, and according to the principles given for Christian living, that should be our attitude every moment. And where do attitudes start? They start with thoughts. They're expressed in words. They motivate action that result in remarkable things. I wonder if this might have been the same thing that the disciples were thinking when in the upper room, Jesus said to his disciples, I know you're disturbed because I'm leaving, but here's the deal. If I do not go, the Spirit can come. And when He comes, the things I have done and greater things you will do. We sometimes say, I want to be just like Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, you're going to be better than me. (laughs) I'm just quoting what He said. You're going to accomplish more than me because I'm going to be living through my Spirit inside of you. For instance, it makes sense when you think about it In reverse, Jesus was in a physical body, could only be one place at a time, right? And today, all around the world, believers are gathering, right? Maybe they're hearing a message like this, saying, When you go out those doors, God's going to do His work through your hands, your feet, your mouth, your eyes. Greater things, because He's going to be wherever you are and wherever I am. And wherever believers in Thailand go when they're done with their worship service. In Norway, wherever. He's going to be there. He's going to be working. Accomplishing what? Beyond what ordinarily might be expected. So, let's think about it for a minute. What are excellent thoughts? If Paul commands us to think them. First, (laughs) Excellent thoughts are impossible thoughts. Meaning, they're not me thinking about what I can do and then thinking, if I augment that with God's help, maybe I can do a little bit more. No. That's you having a good day. Okay. This is impossible. Something on your own you couldn't even begin to accomplish. But in Him, the impossible becomes possible. Did you hear uh, from the words that Pastor Ed read in the scripture reading? uh, Two prayers that Paul actually includes as part of the text in his Ephesian letter. And the second prayer ends with this glorious benediction. Now to him, speaking of God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine A real popular song about heaven 
that became popular about 10 years ago and then a movie came out of it was I Can Only Imagine. But the truth is <laughs> that that song is based on a wrong premise because, no, you can't even imagine. If you think you can imagine what God can do and accomplish, <laughs> you're short-selling God. I sometimes say at uh, funeral services, any fool can count the seeds in one apple. Only God can count the apples in one seed. <laughs> That's a miracle. An excellent thought is like a seed producing incredible fruit. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work, Within us, to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You remember the word to um, Mary when the angel shows up and says, here's the deal. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. Well, she's excited because every young girl wants to be the mother of the Messiah in those days. But then she thinks, wait a minute. Wait a minute, <laughs> I'm not married. <laughs> I'm a virgin. How's this going to happen? And then something dangerous happens. If you ever ask God why, here's your what you want to be careful. God, in this case, the angel actually answers her question. Well, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Does that help you understand any birth? I don't think it helped her any either. I don't think at the end of that she went like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> oh, she was more confused than ever. The glory about it was she submitted to it anyhow. So then, after just saying, well, never mind, then the angel gives this explanation. With God, nothing will be impossible. Okay, you're saying like, well, I don't think that's possible. And you're right. <laughs> Unless God makes it happen... It's impossible. That's an excellent thought. Have you ever had a thought like that? If you haven't, you've never had an excellent thought. It's time to start having them. And if you just said, oh, I think I'm probably too old to start thinking like that. Oh, you really do have a problem. It doesn't depend upon your age, your strength, your wisdom, your resources, your money, your friends. It depends upon you believing that God can do anything He wants to do. And if He wants to do it in you and through you, He can. He will. Excellent thoughts are impossible thoughts. They are inspired thoughts. Okay. It's not just something you think up. But it's something you can't get away from. Have you ever had one of those? Um, I remember uh, Pastor Ed, who's going to be taking the role of uh, senior pastor at Calvary here shortly. And um, <laughs> I remember uh, a day out at um, John and Kieran Montgomery's farm. You remember that? Do you remember that? You don't remember it? You and I went for a walk? Yeah. That's when you first told me. And you're going, how long have you been saved then? Short time. 
Okay, yeah. And he went for a walk with me. He goes, I think I want to be a pastor. <laughs> you know? And I'm, I answer affirmatively because I believe this stuff. But in my mind, I'm thinking, huh, well, we'll see. Guess what? We saw, right? <laughs> yeah, again. So then, if, you're th- if you needed something more down to, than uh, George Danzig, more down to earth that you can relate to, there you have it. Okay? Think he was qualified the day he said that to me to be pastor? That would be no. Do you think, do you think he, he knew enough to be the pastor the day he said that? No, he did not. Do you think there was any humanly way possible that that dream could ever come true? The answer, you're trying to be nice, but the answer would be no. Okay? Thing is, God did it. Okay? Now, on his behalf, we have to say, he believed it. Okay? <laughs> and the thing is, that's, that's, that's what he did. But God did everything else. Inspired thoughts. So then, writes Paul, no more boasting about human leaders. <laughs> All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. What does that mean? He's saying, listen, if God's going to have to do it, if it's impossible, then he's also going to have to give you everything you need to get it done. Right? He's going to have to bestow upon you the qualities you need to take it, to believe it, to act on it. But he's not limited regarding this. He's not saying, oh, you know, I just called that person to do that. And you know, I think I'm fresh out of money. I don't believe I have any more of this or that that they're going to need. No, that's how we think. Right? God says, I have what you need. Did you read that? I mean, that's an incredible promise, isn't it? All things are yours. All things. All things. No, some people would write that. I can claim anything I want. You've heard that kind of thing. That's foolish. All things are yours that you need to do and be what God has called you to be and do. Obviously, in context. So Paul says, he's given us his word for that purpose. All scripture is God-breathed or inspired. It's useful, very useful. If you're going to do something for God, you're going to need the revelation of His Word. It will teach you, rebuke you, correct you, train you, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we've got a problem here because you're right now going, good work. Yeah, I think I do some good works. You're thinking mediocre work. Okay, the word good here means, whenever you read the word good, you can just substitute the word God. A good work is a work only God could do. A good work is a work in which people say, that had to be God. And Paul says, God has given us his word, and through his word, everything we need to do the God work, the good work, 
he's called us to do. Excellent thoughts are influential thoughts. Thoughts that affect people. Consider it pure joy, says James, my brothers and sisters, when you face various trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its good work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Again, anything? You don't even have room at your house or even in your storage garage for everything. Anything means anything you need to do what God's called you to do. So if God's called you to do this, and in order to do it, you need one of these, it's yours. Stop whining and fussing about it. God's going to give it to you. You just got to be ready to lay your hands on it when by faith he makes it available to you. Not lacking anything. What kind of God would he be if he called you to do something impossible and then said, I want to see if you can do it without any resources? Well, he's not going to do that. He owns it all for the purpose of empowering and equipping, is the word that was used here, you. And one of the ways he equips us, according to James, is everything you go through, every pain you endure, every struggle you face, every problem you have to handle with God's help, every one of them is just preparing you for the work he has for you to do, the excellent work which begins with excellent thoughts and excellent beliefs and excellent actions. Second Thessalonians, Paul greets the Thessalonian church and says, We always ought to thank God for you, my brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Something's happening in Thessalonica. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Paul's saying, I came to Thessalonica to share the gospel with you. God sent me there. But the truth is that I couldn't do the work I do without people like you. And God brought you into my life. For this moment, to equip me, to encourage me, to strengthen me, to direct me, to teach me, so that I could do the excellent work God's called me to do. Impactful thoughts, words that ha- thoughts and words that have power. In uh, men's breakfast, we're doing a series called "Me and My Big Mouth." I think. I should have entitled this to go with it, Me and My Stupid Thoughts. <laughs> okay? <laughs> because he's saying, we don't understand how powerful our words are. I'm here to tell you, you don't understand that every powerful word you've ever spoken, good or bad, started with a good or bad thought. Okay? <laughs> In fact, just trying to zip it up, as my mom used to say, uh, and not let it come out your mouth isn't going to work. you got to start a little deeper. So as we think about 
the capacity of our lives as thinkers and doers, we need to realize how God sees us. Jesus says this, He's not talking about Himself, He's talking about you and you and me and us. You are the light of the world in relationship to excellent thoughts and words and actions. He's saying, everybody else is ordinary. Only those who link themselves to my power can live extraordinary lives. When they do, they're like a light to this whole dark world. Everybody else caught in the darkness thinks this is as good as it gets. Just trying to get by. Just trying to survive. Not you, says Jesus. You are the light to this dark world. So a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, you can't think excellently, speak excellent words, take excellent actions without it changing your whole world. Your environment. You've been in a room where everybody was down and depressed and and one person whose heart was full of myrrh and cheer came into the room, changed the whole atmosphere, didn't it? That's how much power you have. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, your God deeds, your things you could only do because you're empowered by God, and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, they'll go like, that can't be them. That has to be God at work in them. So Paul says in Ephesians 4, 17, I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Problem with the Gentiles, says he, is their empty, limited thoughts. Well, by the way, where do empty, limited thoughts always start? What's the first thought? First thought of a Gentile, which Gentile is just a word here for somebody who doesn't know the Lord. They think, the whole world revolves around me. It's all about me. Okay, I got to make sure I'm going to make it. I got to look out for myself. Got to look out for number one. But isn't that the philosophy of the world? Okay. As a Christian, hopefully you've lost and buried that philosophy. It's not all about you. God has you here for this moment in time to impact the world in which he's placed you. Lose the futile thinking. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. I mean... Did Christ come here thinking about himself? Cross-reference Philippians 2. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took the form of a servant. And were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. 
He's not talking about little things you do that may be socially unacceptable or even sinful. He's talking about your formal way of life, living a life where it was all about you. He says that. Put off your old, what's he call it? Self. Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of, where does it start? Your minds. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I want you to know, there's only one who's truly righteous and holy, and that ain't you. Okay, So if you're going to be created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, it's going to have to be Jesus in you. That people are seeing. That certainly is not going to happen if you're living like the rest of the world and thinking it's all about you. I mean, if you ever like are running late in the morning and you get caught in morning uh, rush hour, right? And people are, I mean, it's just like a jungle, right? And the, and the thing is, people are behaving in a way that's yeah, pretty embarrassing. You might even be one of those people that are doing that. And the thing is, they're all thinking, there's nobody here who's got a more important agenda for today than me. Do they know who I am? They, do they know where I'm going? Do they know what's been going on in my life? Well, of course not. Why do they not know that? Because they're thinking about their agenda and where they're going. I mean, you get stuck behind somebody like who doesn't rabbit off at the next stoplight. It might help you to stop and think that might be a person who just heard at home that their wife's leaving them or just got a diagnosis call from the doctor saying their child is sick. Maybe they're distracted for a reason. Okay? You ought to be ashamed of yourself, but the truth is you ought to stop thinking that it's all about you. Now, I don't know that any more than you do. could just be a, another jerk living a self-centered life. But, so how is that going to help if I become one of them? Somebody has to think about the other person, but that's not going to happen until <laughs> you start thinking like Jesus thought. Impactful thoughts. <laughs> then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Joseph is, anybody know where Joseph is at when uh, Pharaoh, well, he's in the palace when Pharaoh says that to him, well, where Joseph just came out of. He was in jail. Yeah, okay. So he's in jail. That's not, not a pleasant place to be if any of you have been there, okay? He's in jail. Last place you'd expect somebody thinking excellent thoughts. But all of a sudden, God puts the spotlight on Joseph, doesn't he? Since God has made all this known to you, Now the godless Pharaoh knew that. There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph gets placed in a position of great impact in the world because even though he was in prison, He didn't start thinking like a prisoner. He kept thinking excellent thoughts. He had been abandoned by his family. That's how he ended up in Egypt. He didn't start thinking like somebody who'd been abandoned. He was thinking 
about himself as someone who believed that God had big plans for his life. And God did the rest. Is he the only example? No. We've been studying in Daniel. Here's what happened with Daniel. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He and the king did not have the same religious background nor ethnic background. Daniel had no power in himself. But people just started giving him power because he thought excellent thoughts. Homework for this week. Do you have any impossible goals for your life? When you were younger, I'm sure you at least had one or two. Pretty sad if you're older now and you don't. But ask yourself, do I have any impossible goals for my... And by the way, that's not impossible goals for other people's lives. That's for your lives. That's not for your grandchildren. That's for you. If not, why not? You do recognize that you belong to the God of the impossible, don't you? That you worship the God of the impossible. With whom have you shared your dreams? Sometimes people just keep this kind of stuff to themselves. Not a good idea. You should find another dreamer someplace and cross-share your dreams. And pray for one another. And encourage one another. And update one another. And hold one another accountable. Because it's easy to have a dream. And if it's a big thing. I remember this same Robert Schuer that I quoted earlier saying. Um, at one of the conferences I was at with him. That he said. Um, Every big dream takes more than one lifetime to fulfill. So there's a possibility that you could be part of something impossible. And never really while you're down here on earth. See it's final fulfillment. That doesn't mean God's not going to do it. That means that God's plans are bigger than just you. Are they willing to help? And help doesn't mean do it for you. Help doesn't mean have your dream. Your dream is your dream. It means be a supporter, be an encourager, be a believer. Be somebody who will hold another believer accountable. Do you believe that your dream comes from God? If so, what makes you think so? I mean, by now, if you've been walking with the Lord a while, you ought to know whether something came from God or you just thought it up yourself, right? Are you willing to be patient as you wait for God to do what only He can do? Because you can be sure of this. The biggest difference between you and God is He's not in a hurry and you are. But God works through excellent thoughts. Next week, building up and tearing down. Paul once said in Philippians 4, we need to be careful to speak only words that build others up. Not words that tear others down. Now, when we hook that to the idea of thoughts, the same can be said. 
every negative, destructive word that ever came through your mouth started in your brain. If you want to get to the point where you can stop apologizing all the time, okay, then you might want to start eliminating negative thoughts about other people from your mind so you can eliminate it from your mouth and from your attitudes. Next week, let's pray. Father, we're thankful today for your word, for the challenge that came to us. Thanks for speaking to us. Father, help us to be people of faith, thinking excellent thoughts, believing you for the impossible. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.